Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of January 2024, and we are at the conclusion of something we'd like to call Dark Hero Month. Uh, Essentially, what we've been doing from week to week is reviewing... uh, like anti-hero slash superhero movies with a with a tinge of darkness associated with them. Largely, films released in the wake of the success of uh, Tim Burton's Batman from 1989. Uh, so we started with Darkman, uh, we proceeded into The Crow, uh, we even hit up some Spawn at some point, so we dipped into Image Comics. Uh, but now, uh, in the last two weeks here, uh, we have arrived at Marvel uh, in the form of Blade uh, from last week's discussion. Uh, and today we're going to wrap things up this month uh, by talking about Jonathan Hensley's, uh, not especially well-known director slash writer, Jonathan Hensley's The Punisher from 2004. Not the first Punisher mo- movie that had ever been made. Um, now, Kyle, I'm going to rope you into this discussion now. Um, the Punisher, 2004. Do you have any sort of background with this one? Had you seen this one coming in? I have, but first I want to read you something uh, from one of my favorite bands, Death Clock. Uh, Swords, check. Saws, check. Clubs, check. Claws, check. Hatred, check. Anger, check. Mermaid, check. Murder, check. From the song Mermaider. Um, Yes, this, this film about vengeance, I, my brother and I have seen... Uh, probably a dozen times. Uh, it was one of those movies that was on DVD. We just had in the rotation um, in between Nick playing Spider-Man and me playing guitar. And yes, this was a very, just very watchable movie when we were young. And I don't know what it was. It just had, there was something about it that you could just have on and, and just kind of enjoy in the background. Yeah, actually, I have a very similar relationship to this one. Uh, my God, I just had like an image in my head of you playing your guitar and Nick playing, you said Spider-Man. I'm guessing he yeah. was playing Spider-Man 2. Probably. On the PlayStation 2. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a game. Like that, that was, that was a, a well-known and well-respected game to this day. Mm. Open world Spider-Man, Spider-Man game. Um, man, your bro loves Spider-Man. <laughs> One of these days we should have him on to talk about Spider-Man. It's, it's not healthy, but. You know. <laughs> Don't indulge him. Don't indulge him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, The Punisher, um, to anybody who's been listening to the show for any length of time, uh, this is not our first go-around uh, with this character. Um, Kyle and I, I don't remember the exact occasion, but it was kind of a joyous one, uh, maybe like a anniversary of some sort. Uh, we both kind of have a, a weird uh, enjoyment factor associated with Punisher Warzone mm-hmm. uh, from, I believe, 2008. That would be the Ray Stevenson headlined and Lexi Alexander uh, directed a Punisher film that came out about four years after this one. Uh, it's up in the air as to like which film is like regarded critically as the better of the two, but if you ask me from an aesthetic standpoint, from a tone standpoint, from a just like blood and guts and like entertainment level factor, I much prefer Punisher Warzone, especially now, especially after this most recent reviewing. You mean a movie that does what it's supposed to do, engage you and make you have fun? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the better film. Critically, come on. 
Yeah, Come on. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the reception was at the time. I do know that uh, this film, uh, The Punisher from 2004, did better uh, in terms of its box office return than Punisher Warzone did. I can actually claim uh, that I did, in fact, go see Punisher Warzone in the theater. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I think I was with a college roommate at the time. Um, I don't know how many people have that experience, uh, but I do. Um, but yeah, the Punisher, uh, for whatever reason, uh, is a character that I have read quite a lot of comics of. Um, and I wouldn't say I do not have an affinity for the character, but I do find him to be a fascinating element of like the Marvel Universe. And, and just an interesting character that kind of justifies its, its own existence by virtue of some of the... I don't know some of the daily issues that we face as a society. He he is a he's a question that that he kind of has to exist just to provoke storytelling. Kind of, he's not a good person. Um, the things that he advocates for should not be represented in any real life fashion. But as a literary character, as just a character in fiction, I do think he is a very useful platform for exploring certain ideas and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, how many dipshits with lifted trucks have the fucking Punisher logo on the back of their truck? Jesus Christ. I'm like, do you... uh, too many. It's alarming. Yeah, it's alarming, to say the least. Um, too many to the point that, as far as I understand, uh, the House of Mouse, uh, Disney, who... who now owns marvel um i think they have officially discontinued the the death's head uh, punisher logo the skull face yeah um because it was being abused and abused by just too many parties and also remember they are a litigious crew so it's yeah. not, like there's the culture aspect of things but then there's also that you know the payola <laughs> it's like hey you can't just do that you gotta pay us <laughs> see I, I think that uh i think that there's like a roger the rabbit kind of thing going on with mickey mouse where people don't actually know that he's actually a live cartoon and he is actually smoking a giant cigar like a giant cartoon cigar in an office somewhere ordering things around he's just like sue him sue him sue him boom i'm up stop it stop it stop it <laughs> yeah mickey mouse is secretly just scarface by the way you <laughs> <laughs> hey, fuck you uh, come here get Come here, give me a kiss. Um, uh, so you were saying about critic reviews, like what? How was the? How are the two films uh, taken critically? Uh, Roger Ebert gave the 2004 Punisher two stars. He also reviewed Punisher Warzone. Guess how many stars he gave that one? Two stars. Two stars. So as critically, they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> the same. Ah, identical. Honestly, it's like neither is like a massively superior film in terms of like performance quality or anything of that nature. But I, as I said, the 2004 one did make more money in the theaters. I believe both of them turned a handsome profit via DVD sales, your household included, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mine as well, uh, being as I ran out and bought a DVD of the original oh. Punisher. So we actually, I, want, I wanted to tell you this because this came to mind the other day. So my father has worked for a, a local auction, like kind of like holding up the stuff, you know. Uh, it's a good way to make a little extra scratch on Saturdays, but... Uh, during the transition of when uh, local um, video stores, mom and pop video stores, and like the small little chains were closing down, they were auctioning off their stuff. So we would end up getting 
just boxes of DVDs from like family video, uh, like just like the video stores. So this was one of those. I think we got that got this when that happened. So we didn't technically pay them uh, for this DVD, but we did get a ton of DVDs through that. Okay, good to know. You you have shared that before about the auction house. That must have been very interesting growing up to to have access to that and just be around that because I've always found that culture to be fascinating. Interesting. It's more like I. <laughs> I had to go work that. I had to go work the auction a few times. That fucking sucks. And then we would buy stuff. My parents would buy stuff from there, and it was basically just a rotate rotation in the garage of like we bought this shit. We have to get rid of this shit. Take it to the auction. It was just basically like just having yard sales, but you take it someplace else. Just a constant rotation of crap. Well, just to provide a little bit of insight into my upbringing, um, d- downstairs, uh, there's an ac- there's a door that accesses the garage in my parents' house. Uh, my dad cut a, a newspaper clipping, like a, a one-panel comic. Cut it out, and he taped it to the door, the garage door. And it's just a father and son looking up at a gigantic painting that's just a black canvas within white lettering in the center of it, uh, the word all, and then the caption simply reads, Someday, son, this all will be yours. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, my father's garage is just full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and should the untimely day come where he, he passes, um, yeah, that's going to be my problem eventually. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, The yeah. Punisher. Um, I did mention I've read quite a lot of Punisher comics. Most of those consist of Garth Ennis's uh, run on the character, which in in like the 2000s era of the character um, was kind of like the the front and center, like most prominent example of how the character was being utilized. Uh, there was an entirely separate line of comics called the Max imprint uh, that was separate from the uh, marvel 616 like primary uh, canon like the primary chronology and universe um where it was just the punisher and no superheroes for the most part um so it was much more grounded it was much more gritty they were they had free reign uh within marvel comics to kind of explore whatever dark and grisly shit that they wanted to imagine like cormac mccarthy writing a marvel comic essentially um and I, I gobbled that shit up. I read quite a lot of those Punisher comics. But anyway, this is just me listing my bona fides with the character, I guess. Um, so let's get to the movie itself. Um, I meant to mention this last week because we did talk about a, a Marvel film, a Marvel film in the form of Blade uh, from 1998, which was put out by New Line. This film uh, was technically put out by Artisan, but at a time when Artisan was being acquired by Lionsgate. Um, who would also go on to do Punisher Warzone. Uh, apparently there's some business uh, issues uh, over, the, over the course of that merger that was going on, over, um, over that company being absorbed by the other. Um, anyway, what I, what I meant to say last week was uh, the, the late 90s were a shit time uh, for Marvel Comics. Uh, sales were way down, um, coming down from the biggest boom period, I think, in the history of the industry. Uh, in the early 90s, around the time uh, Superman uh, got killed by Doomsday and Batman got his back broke by Bane and all that business. Uh, early 90s were the boom period. Uh, it was a speculator boom, as they call it. But by the time you get to the late 90s, uh, the industry was collapsing. Uh, it was failing badly. Uh, and so to stay afloat, uh, Marvel Comics 
uh, began licensing their characters out, like like sent like optioning their uh, the film rights, the multimedia rights to their their backlog of characters, and it was that period of weakness in Marvel Comics's history that would serve as the catalyst for uh, like the glut of movies that we got in the in the years after like in the 2000s and beyond like basically it brings us up to the present uh, so i meant to mention that uh, last week about blade how 1998 part of the reason why it happened when it happened was blade's asking price was probably dirt fucking cheap because marvel was just like tearing up the floorboards and selling them off to whoever would buy them <laughs> um and probably the same goes for the punisher although this one has the benefit of having fucking gail ann hurd listed as a punt as a producer uh, that would be like one of james cameron's like closest working like partnerships like relationships like she produced most of his movies among many other big ass movies <laughs> kind of shocking actually when you see that uh but yeah this movie is brought to us from writer director jonathan hensley who can we uh, talk about him for a second please Kyle, i go just for it i just i just made a connection here uh <laughs> i didn't really realize there's a that- lot of those on this movie by the way there's a lot of weird weird connections this man is responsible for one of the most i'd say shocking uh scenes uh from the 90s in a film mainstream film he's responsible for the sign that bruce willis wears uh in the beginning of uh, die hard with a vengeance yes uh kyle is correct that is one of the more like oh wow <laughs> moments you'll see uh in that era of cinema in mainstream cinema more importantly um, yeah, Jonathan Hensley is primarily a writer. This was actually his directorial debut. Um, I want to say that's uh, that's kind of a thing that's been happening a lot as we've been, talked about these movies this month. Um, he is responsible for writing, as Kyle had mentioned, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, Jumanji. Did that one get a lot of play in your household growing up, Kyle? Uh, thank you for that question, Trevor. Yes. <laughs> I had a feeling. Um Robin Williams was kind of an important figure uh, to both Kyle and I growing up. Um, He also wrote The Saint, which is a movie that I have exactly one friend who remembers that movie and no one else on the planet, uh, as far as I know, remembers The Saint. I know of it. Uh, It was... I don't think I've ever watched it, but I always remember seeing the cover because that's when I knew about Val Kilmer because he was Batman. I'm like, oh, there's another Val Kilmer movie. Uh, not to be confused with the Jackal, which is like right their contemporaries. I actually want to do a episode on the Jackal someday because that that's a movie that I've seen several times and I quite like it actually. You know what, I Trevor, I'm going to say something that I never thought I'd say. I kind of want to do that too because I need to revisit Heat. It, people have been talking about it a lot on social media. Like, just it just keeps popping up. The scenes keep popping up. I'm like. I need to go back as an adult and rewatch that because I watched that in my twenties and it was I I fucking hated it. So I kind of want an excuse to watch that movie and talk about it with you because we've been circling that for a long time. I think it's almost a three-hour movie, Kyle. Do you know what you're getting you. yourself into? <laughs> fuck, I'm back on fuck that movie. I'm not watching that movie. Eat a eat a eat a dick. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Funny enough, that actually popped up on my radar the other day. I think I overheard that like Jim Gaffigan had like a gag about it or something, where that, he that used as sense. an example of like coming to a movie wait like many years too late for it to be relevant to whatever discussion is happening <laughs> in the room. It's like yeah. where it's like 2005, and you're like, so I just saw Heat, and it's like nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I just watched anyway. Passion of the Christ. 
now? My God. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, moving on, now we have a whole bunch of other movies uh, in that vein that you can check out. Also headlined by um, Jim Caviezel, apparently. Uh, he is he has not left that, that corner of the film universe, as far yeah, as no, I understand. He, he found his market, and he stayed yeah, he, there. He popped up over there, and he stayed. And, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin is furious. Because he was trying to get in that market so hard. And they're like, no. No, you will never be relevant, sir. Get out. Okay, so... um. Put a pin in that, dear listeners, because this is a corner of the film world that we will be revisiting <laughs> over the course of today's discussion. <laughs> Not Jim Caviezel specifically, although maybe I'll be surprised. Who knows? Um, anyway, just to continue on with Jonathan Hensley's filmography, it's not very long, so I'll, I'll get off this in a second. I would like to point out that he wrote uh, Armageddon, uh, the Michael Bay film. Fantastic Saw film. That. Saw that in the theater. I felt things. Uh, in 1998, you know that was that was an uncommon experience for young Trevor in 1998 to go into the theater and feel something. When fucking when Max breaks that bottle and they get into a fight in the strip club, it's so fucking funny. Yeah, screaming mode. So good. Sorry, I digress. I'm sorry. I'm I haven't seen that one in a long time. I would rewatch that. It's a fun one. I still enjoy going back to it. Yeah, it's good Michael Bay. It, the, good utilization of your Michael Bay tool set. Um, Ooh, a little baby face Ben Affleck, too. Adorable. Just adorable. Yeah. Animal crackers. Under Ugh. a tree. Americana in 1998. What the fuck? Quote Dave, I'm going to quote Dave Coulier. Cut it out. <laughs> get get the animal cracker scene out of there, bro. Yeah, Michael Bay is not what I would call sentimental. Um, yeah, it, it, go, go do more pain and gain. Like, that's, yeah. more, your, that's more his lane. Yeah, uh, he's a very deeply cynical individual. Should uh, want an Oscar deeply. for that. <laughs> it's a great ass movie. It's a fucking <laughs> it's great his movie. Best movie, if you ask me. It's his best movie. It's The Rock's <laughs> best movie. It's Mark Wahlberg's second best movie. But second anyway. best movie. Boogie Nights number one. Yeah, he's really good at playing a buffoon. It's he's he, really good at it. Trevor, it's like he was born to play a buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like he's doing some of that method shit. I don't think he is. It's like he's got a 10th grade reading, reading level in real life. So it's like <laughs> this is perfect for him. Yeah, even Anthony Mackie is kind of like used better than I've seen him used elsewhere in that movie. For sure. He's great in yeah. The Night Before. Uh, not, yeah, uh, The Night Before. I highly recommend that as a Christmas movie this upcoming season if you haven't seen it. Actually, you know, I'm going to buy it for you. Just keep going. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know. <laughs> okay. Um and uh, I would also like to point out Jonathan Hensley wrote Next, which, Kyle, have you seen Nicolas Cage in Next? Did we do that? What Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Absolutely <is>? not. <laughs> oh, yeah, Trevor. Like, we haven't done a shit ton of Cage movies that I'd forget if we did Next. Come on. I mean, yeah, we have done two months <laughs> of Nicolas Cage. And, like, four of them passed right through me. So that was a legit, did we do Next? <laughs> no, I have what not seen the one that with one. John Cusack? And uh, Vanessa Hudgens or whatever you picked that one. Fuck uh, the frozen ground. There you go. There you uh, go. That was another one of those. I remember it being better than it was. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I I can't condemn Kyle for not remembering if we watch <laughs> next or not because we have watched quite a lot of shit ass Nick Cage movies. <laughs> anyway, next uh, I won't spoil it, being as you haven't seen it, but the ending of that movie is mind-blowingly stupid. Or it's it's like what? <laughs> like, are you fucking serious? 
Um, I, I will, I'll just leave it at that. Also, check out the trailer if you want to see some really bad special effects of Nicolas Cage dodging bullets. Okay. Good times. Uh, he also wrote, wrote uh, Kill the Irishman, which is a movie that just based on the players involved, I kind of want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Especially since, like, from a thematic standpoint, it sounds kind of similar to what this movie was trying to accomplish, meaning this writer maybe has an affinity for this particular, like, story archetype. Uh, Kill the Irishman stars Ray Stevenson, future Punisher, uh, not in this director's film, um, and also features uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, Christopher Walken, and, hey, Val Kilmer. Uh, it's from 2011, which means Ray Stevenson was very much Ray Stevenson uh, at the time. I, I, I miss him. Mm-hmm. It sucks that we it sucks that we lost him because I've it always does. liked him. Uh, if you haven't seen the Accident Man films, uh, the Scott Adkins films, uh, he is fucking great in those. Uh, he gets he gets access to every uh, curse word in the drawer in that one. Uh, he is lit to perfection in so many scenes in both of those movies. He is fantastic in those. Uh, check him out if you're interested in him. Uh, anyway, Punisher, 2004. Kyle, do we need a plot summary? It's the fucking Punisher. Like, <laughs> Yeah, Frank Castle is some kind of secret agent who uh, is involved in a sting that gets Frank Cross... Not Frank Cross. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking uh, Bill Murray and Scrooge. Uh... Uh, he gets John Travolta's kid killed, so his wife demands that his entire bloodline and him be killed. Uh, he doesn't die, and then he takes his vengeance out on them over the course of 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Uh, I will point out, I forget if I mentioned it, um, there was a prior adaptation, live-action adaptation of this character, of the Punisher, uh, that came out, I believe, in 1988, uh, starring Dolph Lundgren. It was put out by New World Pictures. I believe that's Roger Corman's production group. Uh, it was filmed largely in Australia and features, uh, I, I apologize if I'm butchering the pronunciation of his name, but uh, Jerome Crabe, uh, who is a Dutch actor as an uh, Italian mafiosa in Australia, flanked on either side by Australians pretending to be Italian mobsters. <laughs> um, the accents on display in that film are impeccable. Um, not a great movie about as and like probably slightly more entertaining than this one just because of the the whiz bang factor of just more prominently featured stunt work and explosions and stuff uh apartment two or apartment eight uh two all right thank you apparently kyle is buying me an anthony mackie movie right now uh you could say it's an anthony mackie or uh oh you can get it by tomorrow look at that (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ look at that (laughs) done all right and I got it on okay. sale, Blu-ray. Okay, there you go. Well, well thank you. I, I will. I will watch that. Being as you gifted it to me, that's you gotta very wait for Christmas. Oh, I have to put. I have to put that shit away for a fucking year. Are you yeah, kidding me? like that's gonna be difficult for you to do with your hey, collection. Hey, I have hey. a spreadsheet. <laughs> I have a spreadsheet, sir. <laughs> I know how you do your movies. Yeah, you can watch it. I don't care, but it won't feel. It won't feel right. Okay, so Kyle had asked that we go front to back on exploring this film because it just has so few high points that I feel like a lot of things would slip through the cracks. We'd probably get lost and turn into an ugly discussion. Um, Did you want to just head into the movie or talk about the players involved in the movie prior to that? I mean, I I guess we could talk about the players. I mean, 
I don't really have much to say about these people. I mean, I don't have that much either, but there there are some interesting observations to be made about their filmographies, especially in contemporary terms. Well, this was I mean, this is prime uh Tom Jane. Like this is this is pretty much it. Like he does this and then the mist and then it's just nothing else really. Yeah, he he was on a bit of a run when this came out, actually. Apparently the story goes Thomas Jane. I think he would later go by Tom Jane, or I maybe scratch that reverse. I'm not sure. But anyway, I've always kind of liked him. I don't know if he has, like, personal issues or something that has kept him out of Hollywood, because he has had a lot of relationships go sour. Don't, don't, um, don't quote me on this. I seem to remember hearing something about him maybe having a little bit of an alcohol abuse problem for a run. I could be I could be making that up, but I remember hearing something along those lines. There were certain periods, like in the late 2010s, like around the 2010s, I guess you'd say, where like something about his appearance kind of suggested that might be the case. Um, mm. I actually don't know though. I don't know. I, I don't do I do remember you mentioning that to me, and it did get me kind of like I don't know thinking on that. But again, I don't know if like he's burnt some bridges or something. But his his career has had. It had a high, and then it's kind of evened out, and now he's doing Lionsgate direct-to-video movies for the most part. Same goes with John Travolta, for that matter. Speaking <laughs> of... The timing is kind of incredible. Uh, they were both in uh, Face Off. I forgot about that. Yes, they were. Uh, funny story behind that. Um, they were both in Face Off. John Travolta, obviously, was co-starring with Nick Cage. Um, but Thomas Jane, in that, I don't know if he was ever on set with John Travolta during the making of that film. Because in my memory, and I haven't seen the movie in a long time, even though it is a precious movie to me, it is one of the earlier R-rated movies I've seen, and, and I do quite like it. If memory serves, like all of his scenes take place in the prison with, with Nick, Nick Cage. Cage. So they were in the same film, but I don't know if they ever really interacted. I don't think they did. Um, he's worked twice with Paul Thomas Anderson, which is kind of crazy. What was the other one? Because I obviously I know Boogie Nights. Magnolia. I I've never seen Magnolia, but uh, he is in Magnolia. See, I forgot uh, that he was in Magnolia, but I can tell you right now, it is a fantastic film. It's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Good. It's very hard to find a bad Paul Thomas Anderson movie. At one point, he was pointing at that as like, I don't know if I'm ever going to top that kind of movie making. Uh, I mean, I check it out. I I will. I mean, I love Phantom Thread. Like, it really is an underrated movie in my opinion. But yeah, it. That was a weird one for both you and I to be hyped about, but it paid off. Like, I'm really glad that I was excited to see that, because I probably, if I hadn't been excited before it came out, I probably would have forgotten about it, but it's a damn good movie. You've got to see The Master. I know, I know. I got people on every end, like, from every angle telling me I gotta do that. I'll I'll get it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, no, save your money. Mm. (laughs) Check out the outtakes from that that movie. It's very funny. I'm sure. I'm I'm glad he doesn't take himself so seriously that you can't access the bloopers from his films. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I admire that. I think that's part of the process and should be respected. Like, you should, you know, you shouldn't have to be a magician about it. Like, like there's a lot of there's a lot of sweat and effort that goes into manufacturing the shots and the edits that go into the finished film. You may as well share all the efforts uh, that went into getting all that. Um, but yeah, Thomas Jane, uh, he, like I said, he had a bit of a run. Uh, I mean, he 
kind of like borderline was the the star of deep blue sea in 1999 i I mean he survived that movie not every big name actor in that movie can make that claim (laughs) Uh, that's kind of the movie that cemented the uh the meme in my mind anyway that ll cool j is unkillable he is Uh, his head is like a shark's fin his hat is like a shark's fin excuse me um but yeah uh apparently thomas jane was sought after uh, by the producers uh, for this movie. Uh, he declined uh, on a couple occasions. It took a lot of convincing and arm twisting to get him to accept this role. Uh, I can see why they picked him. Also, it's worth pointing out he was in Dreamcatcher just the year prior to this, oh. um, which is not a great Stephen King movie, um, but it's special to me only in that I read the book before I saw the movie, and I think that may have been the first time that happened for me with a Stephen King adaptation. So I had some hype going into it, I guess is what I'm saying. And he was fine in it. Um, but yeah, these days, uh, he is very much uh, doing the direct-to-video circuit. Uh, he's in some of those last Bruce Willis movies that will ever be made movies. Uh, that, uh, If you're aware of that situation, basically Bruce Willis has a condition where his faculties are leaving him very rapidly. So it seems like he intentionally went out and just shot a bunch of movies as quickly as possible to you know, pad out his bank bank account. But yeah, he's largely a direct-to-video actor these days. Uh, John Travolta, same fucking deal, honestly. Like, obviously, he had multiple runs uh, in multiple decades prior to the 2000s, but uh, at this point, in 2004, uh, he wasn't doing so hot. Um, This was another one of those low points for him. (laughs) And uh, Swordfish, I know, has its fans for whatever reason. I think it's Kyle's nodding his head. I think I know why. Uh, there's exactly one shot in there that oh. people of a certain age probably remember very well. <laughs> no, I love, I love the. It's just kind of an over-the-top film, but I love uh, Hugh Jackman's hacking acting. It's so good. Yeah, folks, you got to look that up. It's, uh, it's just a montage of Hugh Jackman with frosted tips spinning in his chair and hacking with theatricality. Uh, he is bringing his acting talent to the act of clacking on a keyboard. <laughs> um, but yeah, John Travolta did Swordfish only a couple years prior to that. But I think one of the big ones that really hurt him and everyone involved, apparently, was Basic. Um, I think that was a John McTiernan film uh, from just the year prior that got a lot of hype. And I don't remember if it like lost money or something, but I just remember it got a lot of hype. He got in like really good shape for it. Travolta did that is, mm. and then it just it, it was a turd. I, like like it was a big old stinker. I think I think the uh, I think what poisoned his career and it just never like he tried hard for it to recover. Battlefield Earth. I think that was a real disappointment. Uh, and uh, I remember watching the trailers for that as a kid. and I'm like that looks awesome. I cannot wait to watch that. It is awesome. But not in the way you think. Yeah, uh, it is a fascinating film, mm-hmm. but not in the way you think. <laughs> way you think. <laughs> but yeah, Kyle's absolutely right. Uh, I I did omit that it was it was a couple of years prior, and uh, he was deeply invested in that movie on an emotional and financial level, as far as I understand. And uh, yeah, it did not do well, <laughs> uh, and is remembered to this day as one of quote one of the worst films ever made. You ever seen a Dutch Angle? <laughs> yeah. if you want to oh. see two hours of him just check that out <laughs> oh yeah i forgot it just a year later he did one of the worst movies i've ever seen be cool Ugh. Ugh. 
it's so fucking bad i it it angers me remembering that film i I only remember the rock in it so all my memories are mostly positive (laughs) kyle's just shaking his head like you were wrong (laughs) dude it's unacceptable it just oh vince vaughn in that movie good god (laughs) all right well there are other uh prominent actors involved in the film but we can we can get to them when we get to them. So let's get to the movie, and I'm going to try to keep this lightning fast. If we, so if we get if we get bogged down, Kyle, you feel free to make that noise into the microphone, and we can I can just skip on down to the next fucking scene because I don't want to spend all day talking about this movie because full transparency, both Kyle and I, upon this most recent viewing of this movie discovered it's not a very good movie <laughs> it's so fucking dull like you have john travolta who can put he could he can bring energy to a to a role like he's definitely capable of doing that there's nothing he gets maybe one scene where he screams and i'm like that's it that's all you're gonna do he's every it's just monotone everything that even the action sequences the, even the fun ones i'm like there's just not a lot of energy to this I, part of me wants to say it's so consistent in how low energy it is that it almost feels intentional. It does. And I'll, I'll, I'll point that out as we get to it. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like, you would expect... John Travolta is a fantastic over-actor. Correct. But he doesn't do that here. And it's frustrating. Because you know what he's capable of offering. But I think it's indicative of like his lack of confidence in the production or something. Because he is just sleepwalking throughout most of the movie he doesn't even fucking dance no he makes someone else do the dancing for him he asks someone else to dance on his behalf it's fucking ridiculous his hips do not move like (laughs) yeah he's really his posture he's stiff yeah i mean my god just uh fucking Mm. he came a long way from greece dude like the gyrating we i do want to do some i do want to cover like some john travolta 70s 80s flicks at some point yeah sure uh in his prim yeah all right start us out i just had an image in my head kyle hmm. he he was long dead by this point so it wouldn't have worked a whole decade prior in fact caesar augustus no uh, <laughs> caesar romero no <laughs> <laughs> raul julia opposite ass superhero just raul julia as a supervillain or an and very animated and theatrical mob mob boss versus the punisher or something Uh, the the villain that came to mind was the green goblin nothing not to take away from willem dafoe but i would watch raul julia in that because he does get some like uh some loud moments some you know some, he's got the bug eyes and his voice he, his yeah. voice fills a room like like just just imagine gomez adams throwing a fucking tantrum he would have to be in that first wave of superhero stuff he couldn't be mcu because it just wouldn't work like they they wouldn't let no him do they it. they would find a way to water him down and make him boring yeah. it would be a shame anyway a shame. that's just an image that popped into my head raul julia slapping papers off his desk and yelling about the fucking punisher <laughs> the fucking punisher <laughs> anyway tampa fucking florida yeah. from frame fucking one they get it wrong <laughs> from frame fucking one they get it wrong how do you do that so i as i said i read a lot of punisher comics or i read a lot of punisher comics the character is most often often associated with new york new york city 
specifically, uh, specifically like, like the the dingy parts of the city. Um, in fact, like the character originates in Spider-Man comics. Spider-Man, New York, go together like fucking peanut butter and chocolate. Punisher, same fucking deal. He has gone to Florida in the comics, but in this one, it's like he's embedded in Florida. He is Florida. And it's like, no, <laughs> the, the first time you're debuting, the character should not be in fucking in the tropic, the tropics of fucking Florida. <laughs> yeah. Every character in this, every main character in this movie is wearing all black. Like it's that big ass duster he's wearing in fucking Florida. He's going to fucking die. <laughs> like you can't wear a black duster in Florida. No part of Florida. Can you wear a black duster any part of the year? It, it, no. Just and and just. Just on an aesthetic level, it doesn't look right. It, it, with this much, I mean, I get that he's depressed. He's clinically depressed because his entire family were killed. But that's too much vitamin D for him to be that down in the dumps. Like, you, there's too much sunlight. There's no fucking clouds, Trevor. It's too nice outside. You have to succumb to the temperature outside. You cannot be vengeance in Miami. <laughs> you cannot be vengeance when you're sweating you that much. be vengeance. <laughs> When the sun is shining and there's asses wiggling in the street everywhere you look, you cannot be vengeance. See, they were smart to have it in Tampa and not Miami. Uh, because in Miami, it's like, good fucking luck, dude. You can go to the birdcage down the road. There's just asses everywhere. Like, come on. You're not having yeah, a Yeah, and, you, and you're Thomas Jane, and you're all you're all oiled up and, and beefy, and you got your chest hair shaved dude, just so. Like, you're going to have ass just being tossed at you. This is my ideal physique, by the way, is Thomas Jane in this film. Not going like, to lie, same here, Kyle. That, I mean, I don't need to be ripped or jacked, but this is the perfect this is the perfect obtainable fitness i think this is a realistic obtainable fit proportionate and attainable yes these these are realistic goals that yes i share with you not whatever the Uh, fuck thor was doing in his latest movie that's impossible jesus fucking christ (laughs) it's insane but anyway someone get this man an eyedropper of water just just a just a drop of fluid (laughs) get this man a milkshake and a cheeseburger he's gonna die (laughs) Uh, you gotta do it for that one shot, though, for the that trailer, Kyle. For the shot. trailer, yeah. That one shot. Um, but yeah, Tampa, fucking Florida. <laughs> Frame one. We're getting it wrong. <laughs> so the movie opens uh, with actually like an animated title sequence and some strings, like the opening uh, stings of what will serve as the Punisher's theme music throughout the movie. Uh, the score is done by Carlos Ciliotto. Uh, who is not a noteworthy composer. I believe they are Italian, uh, maybe from the country of Italy. Um, my, <laughs> my assumption is that this person was hired because this director probably loves uh, spaghetti westerns, uh, like of the Sergio Leone variety, and wanted an Ennio Morricone kind of vibe because apparently they have an affinity for that. I, I want to say that this person... Jonathan Hensley really likes westerns, specifically spaghetti westerns. So my my guess is this composer had the right price tag and also happens to hail from the same territory as one of the most legendary composers of all time. They do a fine job. It's not an amazing score. I do like the theme for The Punisher. It has like a funereal like uh, military hymn, like bugle uh, incorporated into the instrumentation that actually kind of works. And it's not overused which is nice but yeah our movie opens with a gun deal gone bad kyle the same the same concept uh that served as the concept for every movie i made every short film i made in high school with my friends 
Yeah, we've already dealt with it. We've already dealt with it this uh, this month. Spawn. I think Darkman could even go under that as well. The opening of Darkman, yeah. And Spawn, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, what happens is, is we've got this little mousy character uh, who works somehow with the. Uh, I'm gonna call him Frank Cross. I, mean, that, I know that's Bill Murray's character, <laughs> Frank Cross. but I can't remember. It, the, it's the Cross family. Frank Cross is John Travolta. So I'm just gonna have to go with that. So he's brought the boss's kid to this arms deal with uh, Russians. I'm guessing Tom Jane is an undercover agent, and he's the mediator between this. So uh, it basically, the it's a bust. So it's a sting. And the cops come in, and they are the reason why this kid gets killed, because they escalate the situation almost immediately. Uh, I guess it's to save uh, Punisher's, uh, what's his what's his actual name? Castle. Frank Castle. Oh, Frank Cross, Frank Castle. That could get very confusing. That could get really yeah, confusing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, fine. Uh, Vinny Barbarino. Uh, is, the, <laughs> is that better? Uh, fucking... Uh, so I, I guess the point of this sting is to, one, catch the bad guys, but two, also get Thomas Jane's character out of this situation. So they're going to kill him in front of everybody so they think that he's dead. But by doing that, they've escalated the situation where the other people think that they're going to get shot as well. And in the crossfire, this uh, uh, fucking John Travolta's kid gets killed, basically. Not a child. He's an adult man, but his son. Yeah, uh, this is the point uh, in the discussion where I get to toss out there the fact that there is a director's cut of this film that exists. Um, Kyle is actually unsure if he's seen it or not. Um, If he did, it was a long time ago. So don't, like, if you don't remember, it's not a big deal. Um, My most recent viewing of this movie for the purposes of this discussion was just the theatrical version, but I do remember the director's cut. I still have it on DVD. Where, which is the only way I can apparently watch it because it's not on the 4K disc I have now. Weird. Um, anyway, the director's cut of the film has a lot of extra scenes, including a, a prologue in Kuwait, where we get to see Frank Castle do like tactical like military stuff. Like Basically, you get to see Killing Machine Frank before the end of the movie, so it's like a tease of things to come. Um, but largely the director's cut has to do with a, a subplot involving the FBI agent who shoots him with blanks in this opening scene, uh, who also is a fixture. He remains a fixture throughout the remainder of the film. He's a, he's a pivotal character who serves as both support system and also betrayer to Frank Castle. He's working with the bad guys while he's pretending to help the good guys, basically. Um, and in addition to that, there's also just a very brief scene at the beginning of the movie in the director's cut that I kind of remember that is actually kind of important. It's actually useful to the movie. Uh, and it comes in the form of showing to us, telling us, the viewer, that Howard Saint, the John Travolta's character in this movie, has twin sons. His sons are twins. And that is so poorly communicated to you in the theatrical version where it's like, didn't that guy die? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, uh, I realized it. I'm like, that's the same actor with a goatee. Or without the goatee. Yeah, he has a pencil thing. He has a yeah. Walt Disney mustache. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> well, remember, this movie was produced on a low budget and shot at an accelerated pace. Um, again, may have had something to do with Lionsgate acquiring Artisan at the time the movie was being shot. Maybe that's the best they could do, where it's like, we, we can't hire anyone else. <laughs> it's like, let's just have the same guy, and like, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call him twins, but we, we won't call him twins. We'll just we'll put a mustache on you, you'll die at the beginning, but you'll come back. 
but you'll be a different person. <laughs> Writing, <laughs> directing, that's what we're doing today. Um, anyway, yeah, that director's cut does include just a shot of like the two of them together on screen before the gun deal, just telling us, the viewer, there are two of them. One has a mustache and a different haircut. Other than that, they're identical. Uh, the same. Clap. Identical. Anyway, uh, the Mickey character, I in my notes, I was calling him Squeak from basketball. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, Squeak. I have a friend that we call Squeak because he's the same We all have a friend we call Squeak. <laughs> uh, yeah, the little Pip Squeak from, I remember him from Oceans, the Oceans movies. Um, yeah. I forgot he was in those. Oh, yeah, great movies. Well, two of them. Um, <laughs> two of them are pretty great. Uh, yeah, so Sting goes through. Uh, they're like, this is that cross kid. It's, uh, yeah, bad guy. The bad guy of the movie, it's his kid, just so you guys know. Uh, but yeah, Thomas Jane is basically like, I don't know if he's taking a vacation or if he's retiring. Or he's like, retiring. He's retiring. Uh, he's like, uh, we get some exposition. It's like, oh, you're going down to Puerto Rico to see your family. Now that you're retiring. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we got to go to Puerto Rico for a nice vacation. But dude, this movie's kind of front loaded with like setup. Like, I do think it does a decent job of like setting up how he becomes the Punisher. But it's just so dry like the dialogue through this whole like first 20 minutes of the film is just like oh my gosh like it just not it's unnatural the way people talk to each other you're absolutely right i felt it especially this time but um something that i'm surprised i didn't mention until now uh, the punisher is one of the most adapted comic book characters to film it's a weird thing to consider being as you know we've been inundated with the mcu and like the dceu for so many years now but th there have been four different actors now who have played this character in some form of like television or film uh, we had dolph lundgren we have tom jane uh we had ray stevenson in punisher warzone and then john bernthal on netflix and soon apparently disney plus the plan is to bring him back somehow oh my god uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's wise, given the tone of the character, uh, that iteration of the character specifically. John Bernthal's portrayal of Frank Castle is probably, arguably the best, especially because it doesn't shy away from demonizing the character. Like, it really shows him as a monster, um, which most of the movies hadn't really done up until recently. I think the acting direction for any Punisher is just be Harrison Ford in any interview. Just be grumbly and uninterested in what's happening. Because that's all the... All of them are just like somber and just... Mm. Well, Dolph Lundgren is... He, he seems bored and confused um, well. throughout his, his portrayal of the character. Plus his, his dye job is really distracting. And also he has soot on his ass. You get to see Dolph Lundgren's bare ass in that movie just sitting in grime. Lucky us. <laughs> Lucky us. <laughs> uh, there's a funny... There's a, a comedian. I think he's kind of fallen from... Uh, fallen from graces. Uh, Kurt Metzger. Very funny. Very good joke writer. But he had a joke about uh, like beauty pageants. It's like, stop asking pretty girls smart girl questions. It's like, it's unfair to judge pretty girls on those questions. Like, don't ask Dolph Lundgren to put in a good performance. Like, he's to be looked at. He doesn't need to be heard. Just look look at him. Look at him. Look Especially at him. in 1988, that that was very much the case. So I mean, he, he, he fits the mold. He's got the moves. He looks right. Just don't ask him to say dialogue. <laughs> and, and not to say that he's stupid. He's just not that great of an actor. He's actually a very intelligent person uh, academically. Like, he's he's got some degrees under his belt. 
No, he speaks multiple languages. He's like a Fulbright fucking scholar in like chemistry or some shit. He's like an engineer, I believe. Yeah, he, um, went he, to he the, is a very intelligent man. The Russian <laughs> version of MIT, essentially. <laughs> no, he's a very bright man. Yeah. Just not a great actor when not it comes to actor. saying lines on screen. But great to look at. But yeah, <laughs> great to look. At. Great, great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the. I don't know. The, the performances in this movie are very, very stilted. I, I had a point I was going to get to, but I forgot it. So we can get back to the movie. Um, so yeah, uh, the opening 20 minutes or so of the movie, as Kyle said, are all set up. Oh, I remembered my point. We've had many, many different iterations of this character, but I think this movie serves as the only one that suffers from like origin story syndrome where it feels obligated to tell us the story of the character from like his origins onward. Like it, it starts the story where the story of the character starts. Whereas every other Punisher movie and, and film or, or series has just thrown you into it and explained it later. Okay. So there's two ways to do it. One, it's in dialogue. You could just be like in this movie, instead of doing the whole backup, just like what happened? It's like, uh, his entire family were murdered in front of him. It's, I think that's a better way to do it, but then there's the way that I don't really like, which is flashbacks, which is what The Crow is. Like, 80% of that movie is just flashbacks of what happened, and I think that it bogs it down, and I feel like if they hadn't done the huge setup at the beginning, this movie would have suffered from that, where it's just, like, 90 minutes of, like, flashbacks of his family dying. Well, they also do it again not not to say across the board just wrong but they also do it very different from his comic origins it's the it's kind of the only one that really strays super far from it but punisher warzone (laughs) better movie uh actually handles it really well Mm -hmm. because it starts you off with him doing punisher shit Mm -hmm. which you know it gets you your opening act with you know some energy but then there's that scene in the cemetery where he visits his family's grave and we just get flashes of of the incident we don't even see it happen we see the aftermath and his reaction to it and then ray stevenson does some of that acting shit and shows that he's in anguish telling us the viewer that his family died he feels bad about it there we go we're up to speed yep got it (laughs) whereas this one first like half hour is just set up and it's lousy set up on top of that because we're doing we're trying to do a thing where we're like paralleling the two families we have the castle family and the saint family where uh, it's it's kind of like a i don't know like a feud like a hatfield mccoy kind of thing where it's like the saints suffer a loss in the form of their son dying and then there's retaliation in the form of the saints going off to try to kill all of the castles in one fell swoop but he's still alive and so he retaliates in kind it's supposed to be this like dramatic like shakespearean like like family feud type situation but it's like no just just don't do that (laughs) keep it simple stupid (laughs) k-i-s-s yeah there's some weird choices they get to puerto rico this scene takes a while before they start gunning this family down but i did want to highlight one thing that roy scheider says his dad's played by roy scheider by the way Uh, i know that that made me so happy in 2004 like this is one of his last roles i think but I, I was raised on Jaws, so just seeing yeah. Roy Scheider made me happy, even though he's phoning it in and he's barely in this movie. It, it was just cool to see him, is all. He, he he does fine. Like I wouldn't say he phones it in, but he he does it. He does it. He does it. It works he better it. if you if you assume that his character's supposed to be drunk in every scene he's in. I think he probably was at this age. I, I think mean, he's very very red. Yeah, he's what, very red. 
why wouldn't you be drinking? The, yeah. <laughs> My uh, grandson! <laughs> Uh, but he says, uh, this is our first family reunion in five years, which is too long. And this family reunion, from what I understand, are the, the nuclear family. Like, this is the immediate family. So this is like my wife's family and my family getting together for a family reunion. First one in five years. So what? That's insane. There's no, that, it's, that is unrealistic. That cannot happen. It's a bizarre escalation from the source material because, okay. like, if you hadn't figured it out, listener, like, the Punisher's story is generally he he's a he's a war veteran, he's a soldier, and his family gets caught in the crossfire of like a gang war or like a like a, a mob hit gone bad in like the park or something. So they they are collateral damage uh, in in the midst of organized crime lashing out at each other. Um, this one's like no, he doesn't. He doesn't lose. His, he doesn't lose his wife and kids. He, he loses everyone who has ever bared the name Castle or his wife's family. It, they're all gone. But <laughs> they're all dead. There, I was uh, in and out watching this movie, looking up, looking down, doing other things. I did my taxes uh, for a little bit. But um, at, one, Sudoku. At, at one point, Roy Scheider's character goes, "This is." We got the family union. This is great. And when you get two families together, you get this. My grandson. And I'm like, my grandson. Like, what? <laughs> who the fuck wrote that? It was so weird. I'll tell you, Kyle, who wrote that. Jonathan Hensley, who also, who also wrote the dialogue from Frank Castle's wife. We are not lucky. We are blessed. Dude, the, the, I'm like, I'm glad... I, I'm glad you're dead. Like, I'm glad this family gets wiped out. I'm glad you're dead. I'm glad you're dead. Uh, I've got the drop, but I'm not going to use it. But uh, not, not, nothing against her, but just, like, the the dialogue and the scene that they have between each other and the, the passionate kissing beforehand. I'm like, okay, kill him. Like, let's get these people out of here. By the way, did you recognize this person? Uh, his Samantha wife. Mathis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Princess Daisy from fucking Super Mario Brothers. Oh. <laughs> I, I recognized her as Courtney from American Psycho, but that tells you... Uh, she's the lady that's on... She's Princess Valium in, in American Psycho, correct? Uh, uh yeah, uh, uh... What'd you say? Princess Valium. Oh, I think... <laughs> as, in she, as in she's on something and she's really tired all the time. <laughs> I think she's the, the sex worker, if I'm not mistaken. The one that you... Are you sure? I'm pretty sure she was at, like, a party scene and she's just kind of, like like really partied out i believe the line that said to her is courtney don't just stare at it aha uh-huh. okay maybe i maybe i misplaced her in that film sex worker that doesn't get the phone call for her to get there we'll put it that way gotcha uh she's um, also yeah. broken arrow with uh john travolta yeah uh that's a that's a future episode uh it's is it? okay uh, maybe not actually i think i think i actually ran into an issue in my most recent reviewing of that one where i was like this is this yeah. is something i did <laughs> i didn't like it when i watched it when it came out so yeah yeah it see i i got roped into that one because i was really into john woo around the time i was like of age to watch that movie and as i said face off was kind of a big deal for me so john woo john travolta kind of a big deal and then i went backwards to watch that after i saw face off and was like oh, oh face off is no. way better than this <laughs> yeah uh but yeah we're at the reunion and like i said samantha mathis we're not lucky we we are blessed it's like, we we are blessed what 
the phrasing it's very odd but yeah um we're cutting back and forth between puerto rico uh, the castles and uh tampa fucking florida with the saints and they have a funeral for the dead kid and we see that the wife has a mean streak um who's played by laura haring um who has an incredible name on wikipedia by the way i'm just gonna i'm just gonna attempt to recite it just because it's so spectacular it has to be said somewhere Laura Elena Grafin von Bismarck Schonhausen. Von Bismarck, huh? Okay. Like, like literally connected to the Otto von Bismarck bloodline. Like, like not oh. of blood relations, but married into. Ah, oh, okay. Um, I'm that. not super familiar with her, but uh, our our buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast would definitely recognize her as she is from a couple of David Lynch films. Uh, so you know she's a little uh, odd. <laughs> she she is not she is not of the mainstream. If she is if she is a buddy of David Lynch's, uh, she's in Mulholland Drive and at least one other movie that he made. Um, but yeah, she's the one who actually orders uh, his whole family. Like yeah. it, fuck them all. They all gotta pay. <laughs> yeah, but the the, the uh, Howard Sate, that's John Travolta's character. He just looks at her like she just ordered a second dessert. Like it's like hmm, okay. I didn't think you would order a second one, but that's totally fine. Yes, murder their entire bloodline. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll speak of this later. <laughs> we'll I guess we'll splurge now, but maybe we'll talk about this for the future. Uh. Yeah, yeah. It's like, we, should we consider canceling our Netflix? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it's really stupid how he gets his Punisher logo. His dumb fucking kid gets him oh a T-shirt. He's like. Yeah, the I, in Puerto Rico, they had these t-shirts, and I'm like, look, Dad, it's a skull on a black t-shirt, and I thought of you. Uh, and he's just like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll totally wear this. Yeah, that was really clunky and real stupid. Um, they do a couple of things like that in this movie. Like, they have him have, like, a an affinity for, like, certain weapons. Like, he has preferences in this, like, strong ones. Like, he uses his, his dad's pistols uh, throughout the rest of the movie and he has the t-shirt he has these like totems that these props that carry significance whereas i don't think of the punisher as being especially sentimental like he holds on to like memories of his family but i don't think of him as a character who like holds on to that many mementos and stuff and the t-shirt is just it's just clunky and stupid uh he he holds on to memories of his family uh despite his best efforts because he's drinking like he's trying to die yeah, wild turkey is his uh, drink Ugh. of choice, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle's our resident drunk. Uh, he, he's oh. our. He's our <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were stopping there. <laughs> no, hey, he's hey, our. Uh, you, he's man. our drink critic. He's also our resident drunk. <laughs> That's not true. Like, damn, just dude. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we get to see. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true at all. Shots fired! Shots fired! <laughs> He's our drink critic because oh. I, I don't drink. But um, anyway, uh, the family gets annihilated, mm-hmm. like the entire fucking family. So uh, a couple of ugly goons get sent down in a speedboat down to Puerto Rico and they walk through. The, they, they go into the long grass, Kyle. Yeah. Um, they come out of it with Uzis, though. And uh, they shoot up the whole fucking family. Uh, <laughs> the mom gets shot. Uh, Frank Castle's mom, that is. Like while like while he's hanging out with Roy Scheider, like looking at his gun collection and stuff. By the way, Samantha Mathis tells her son, "It's a stingray." That is not a stingray. That is a horseshoe crab, ma'am. <laughs> Way to go! You just 
one of the last things you said to your son was a lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does how does he not die? Like like everybody. I mean, the kids, the the wife and kid get mowed over. They follow him to like a dock for him to get shot. He's been shot like fucking Willem Dafoe in Platoon at this point, and then he gets shot in the heart. It looks like point blank, and then exploded. And he's like, <gasps> he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, he gets he gets at least three bullets in him, one of which is directly in the center of the chest. And he gets blown up. Um, yeah, the whole choreography of that sequence is clunky as shit. Like, like it is so. There's too many moving parts. It's like again, keep it simple. And I, I get it. Maybe they felt obligated to have him get blown off the dock so that they, like, don't have access to the body, so they can assume he's been killed or something. But it's just like it's so long and drawn out. Where like they they hit him a couple of times. They shoot him in the chest. They they like, carry him down to a different part of the dock. They they like spray gas all over the place. It takes fucking forever, and it's so involved, and just poorly constructed. But I would like to point out boat guy Kyle. Boat guy has to be mentioned just because of how silly it is. During during the course of the family getting shot to shit, there's a guy who's trying to escape on like a a shitty little like. It's it's not even a dinghy really. It's just it's just like a little boat and he's like thirty feet out from the beach and this goon just like points and shoots him like fish in a barrel. <laughs> it's so fucking pathetic. <laughs> it's like bruh like you you're heading out into the open sea. Like there is nowhere for you to go. That was not a good plan. But yeah, it's just funny to watch. But yeah, in this one, uh his wife and son get runned over by a truck that's how they eat it like that's how they die it, it's kind of i'm not, I'm not gonna lie kyle it's kind of lame like it, it just lacks <laughs> it lacks the impact it lacks impact and more important he doesn't witness it no like that's part that's part of the thing with the punishers like he's he's like typically pictured as being like at a picnic with his family like in the middle of like one of the most fun things he could do with his family and then they get they get shot in front of him and this one he's not even present for it he rolls up after the fact. It, it very poorly conceived. Yeah, it, it works better like Gladiator when he's like just hauling ass to get back to his house. And then he has to see, and then how we see is just you see his uh, wife and son's feet hanging and they're charred basically. So you can imagine what he was seeing was pretty bad. Plus, you know Russell Crowe's performance there, like he's slobbering on her dead feet, which is pretty disgusting. Uh, yeah, here he's just like again no energy whatsoever like there's nothing no michael fassbender in the counselor like like <laughs> just something he just impact. nothing yeah he like he like kind of cradles him for a second and he immediately starts trying to shoot the bad guys he fails by the way give me like that um, terrifying man crying where it's like like where you're like oh god step back he's gonna he's gonna go berserk in a sec like it this is dangerous yeah, that's another point that I can give to John Bernthal for his portrayal of the characters. Oh, I like he, he, well. he, he really does. Like the the those show that show is very clunky because it suffers from Netflix syndrome, where it's like, let's just cram way too many characters into this and like an A B C D E F G plot that that really bogs things down to the point where it's like, okay, I got twenty minutes of good stuff among nine hours of content. But John Bernthal and his understanding of that character is 
solid. Like he flies into these like animalistic rages. He goes into like fight or flight mode. And on top of that, he is often portrayed as just just a straight up monster. There's a there's a thing that like has become more common to explore and sometimes question, often champion in questionable circumstances, but if you're doing it right, champion or question rather. Uh, it's the sheepdog mentality, Kyle. Have have you ever heard of this shit? Mm-mm. Where it's like there's there's kinds of people, or there's parties where there's there's sheep, there's wolves, and then there's sheepdogs who protect the sheep from the wolves. He's he's like a acceleration or an escalation of that sheepdog mentality, just gone awry. Where it's like he he's this monstrous brute that has this philosophy backing him that justifies his his truly horrendous actions like for the sake of the people or for the sake of justice or punishment or whatever it's a it's a thing uh not in any circles that i think you or i fraternize in (laughs) oh my gosh we're Um, an hour into this we've barely scratched the surface oh okay well we can accelerate so long story short frank castle doesn't die that day he does get beat the fuck up uh and then i think five months pass and uh the saints are doing fine. Uh, they're happy that everybody seems to be dead. All the castles seem to be dead. Um, but of course, Frank comes back. He gets saved by like lo- local guy named Candelario, who is spoken of as if he's important. He is in like three shots of the movie. <laughs> um, not important. Yeah. Yeah, and Frank uh, recovers the T-shirt, which has been sitting on the beach for five months. Ew! Ew. You wore that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, we head back to Tampa, and uh, what he makes a fortress in his apartment. Yeah, he makes a fortress in his apartment. He's I I don't think anybody's paying rent. I mean, maybe. I mean, this is this this place looks like shit. Uh, it it's falling apart. Um, I don't know if we get introduced to the neighbors one by one here, but I I do want to point them out and how they are explained to us with music. Uh, also, this is the possibly the worst time for rock and metal, like just the absolute worst fucking music. The the scene picks up a bit around 2005, 2006. There's some really good albums that start to come out there in the hardcore scene, and we, we pick it back up. But fucking uh, Rebecca Ro- Rebecca Romaine, uh, her intru- her character's introduced with a Seether song. That song comes up twice. Seether <laughs> and and the chick from Evanescence. I think her name's like Amy lee or something um yeah that's how we're introduced to her she's you know she's battled some demons she's you know coming through the other side uh ben foster uh playing the most pierced faced person i've ever seen uh (laughs) he's into video games i don't think he has a job i don't think he or john is it what peretti is that his name uh are you talking about mr bumpo yeah bumpo (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Mr. Bumpo is played by yeah John Panette or John Panetti. John Panetti, there we go. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ben Foster is being introduced with the song "Step Up" by Drowning Pool. Oh no! <laughs> Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> Jesus, this is after the not that that matters, but this is after the original singer died of unknown heart attack thing. Uh, this is the next guy. This is awful. They're like, no, no, no. We got to keep this band going, man. We're gonna be really big. Uh, Drowning pool two. <laughs> fuck. I'm glad you're dead. Uh, the, that, <laughs> that scene, not not the not the singer. Yeah, that, yeah, that scene. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yeah. I think John Peretti's just cooking something. Panetti, Panetti, Peretti. Yeah. Uh, 
I think all of these characters are taken directly from the comics. Uh, quite a lot of this movie is lifted directly from some of the comics. Um, not the Howard Saint stuff, but the, the supporting cast and the character of the Russian, who we'll talk about later. Um, yeah, they're fairly accurate. Uh, Spacker Dave uh, is in the comic for sure by uh, Garth Ennis and illustrated by Steve Dillon. Uh, Mr. Bumpo is also in there as well. Uh, I'll mention him again when we get to uh, the Russian. Um, I'm getting yeah, those, I'm getting Bumpo's real name mixed up because I'm thinking Chelsea Peretti, who plays Gina Linetti in Brooklyn Nine Nine. So I've got it all wrong. Sorry. Wow, that, that's a lot of Eddies. <laughs> She's Italian. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Mickey, uh, aka Squeak, he gets a, he's like the first victim of the Punisher who gets like recruited into the fold via like phony torture. Like he he threatens him with a blowtorch, but in actuality he's putting like a cold popsicle to his back, making him think that he's burning his nerve endings and stuff. Um, apparently, the Mickey character is inspired by a character from the comics as well. Um, and we get like a whole ass montage showing like the habits of all the the Saint family. So Howard Saint himself, his wife, and his I guess you'd call him his like consigliere. Uh, he's played by Will Patton, by the way. Yeah, I caught this. He's the lawyer and CPA. And he's also, like, the head of the muscle. That's a lot of jobs. That's, That's that a means, lot of jobs, That man. means he went to law school, and then he's also a certified public accountant. <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> yeah, it, it, a few too many hats for that guy. But, yeah, yeah Will Patton plays him, and uh, I've always liked Will Patton. Speaking of Armageddon, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was in that. Maybe that's how he got this gig. Was he familiar with the writer um, from working on that film prior to this one? Uh, but yeah, we have this whole montage like showing everybody's habits, and we're kind of setting up this like grand revenge scheme for the Punisher. Which, sorry, it just doesn't jive with me. Like when I think of the Punisher, I think it just like quick, just like okay, they're there. Let's yeah. do this. <laughs> it's like Howard Saint lives here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I guess Frank captures the little mousy guy and uh, quote unquote tortures him into helping him, but not really. He's just like, I hate the saints. I'll, I'll help you. But it's the, uh, yeah. the, the searing the meat with the icicle thing, which I always thought was, I think that was a cool scene when I was younger. It's, it's fine. It's neat. Uh, it is worth mentioning. This movie did uh, get a lot of, it got a lot of cuts made to it uh, from the MPAA. Cause remember this is 2004. Um, superhero movies, we weren't really. Spider-Man was the the new hotness, like that, like, like pastel-colored, like fun, like family-friendly kind of superhero stuff was kind of the trend of the time. So I think there was some hesitation to really make this like a like a R, like a hard R-rated movie. Apparently, Thomas Jane really wanted it to be that, uh, and he was deeply dissatisfied with the experience of making the film as a result. Um, so there were a lot of tone conflicts. So maybe a compromise was made to do like this kind of safe torture sequence of some sort. Anyway, uh, we go to the bank. And it's funny because this scene is, I think, basically included in John Wick the first as well. Um, basically, Frank Castle goes to the bank and he steals a bunch of Howard Saint's money and tosses it out the window. Um and we get what's supposed to be like a satisfying action beat, but it ends up just coming across as really lame. Where we have like this old west like standoff in the lobby, 
And it's him and two other guys. They're all wearing black dusters like it's the fucking OK Corral. And it's just like a quick draw scenario, which in 2004, it's like, bro, like I was watching The One with Jet Li not that long ago. It's like I was probably watching like Torque the year this movie came out. I was probably watching a Fast and Furious movie around the time this came out. It's like dynamism. We we need some, we need some flash. Like this, it was the style at the time. And I'm guessing the director's approach was to like, no, we'll we'll go contrary to that. We'll do things really straight down the middle and bland. It's a choice. I don't think it was a good choice. But yeah, it's just like bang bang, action. And that's kind of it. And not even like a satisfying squib either. Just bang, bang, they fall down into some glass, of course, because, you know, that's a good way to spice things up a little bit. But yeah, where do you want to bounce to next, Kyle? Uh, gosh, I guess the I guess his, let's, let's talk about his master plan. Um, I feel like that's a good way to set it up. And then I think we could probably talk about the Russian because that kind of the, the master plan leads to the Russian. So. What he's going to try to do is he's going to get revenge. He's going to uh, basically uh, make Howard Castle, or Howard Saint, sorry, Howard Saint. He's going to unravel his life, basically mess up his personal relationships, his business relationships. So he, uh, I guess, is he a money launderer for the Cuban? I don't know what the Cubans do. Yeah, the Toro brothers is yeah. what they're called. I don't know what they're into, but yeah, he launders money on their behalf. Yeah, well, he loses a bunch of money for them, which isn't really good. It puts him in a vulnerable situation. Um, this is 2004, uh, so we have to um, uh, villainize homosexuality. Uh, he, Frank, Frank Pat, Will Patton, uh, his character. <laughs> Everybody's Frank. <laughs> he's a particularly vicious character. Like, he's a very cruel character. Um, and he's also gay, and I guess that's going to be blackmail, but does it even come up as blackmail? It's, yeah, I feel like this is symptomatic of the time the movie came out, because he is deeply concerned about having his gay gayness exposed to his employer. Well, I, I don't know if that's supposed to be, like, the stereotype of maybe the mafia, because that's a big thing in The Sopranos, like, uh about somebody being gay in that show and it i don't know if it's like unacceptable i don't know what it was but this is also again 2000 like two years before uh, uh fucking bad boys too like they were like you motherfuckers need jesus like because they were talking about gay so i'm like this was not a good time in cinema it was not it was not but the way it's framed in this movie is like he is he is photographed making out with a man uh like in private basically like out of the public eye and the photos are being threatened as blackmail like they'll yeah. be released to Howard Saint his employer and he's willing to pay lots and lots of money to get those photos back it's this uncomfortable thing where it's like fuck was it that bad it's like you know a guy who's like super deeply embedded in your not only your life but your business and like every element of your your lifestyle something like that would ruin that relationship it's like that's fucked and you should watch, i don't know if you've seen it, that that wham documentary on netflix is really it's it's heartwarming uh to see how his relationship was with his partner the, the other wham guy not his like like partner partner but like his yeah, yeah. singing partner it was really nice he was very accepting uh especially at a time when we were not accepting of uh of homosexuality but yeah so his i guess he's blackmailing will Patton. And then he's going to set up his wife as cheating on him with Will Patton. 
And then I'm not sure what he's going to do with the kid. I don't know what he's supposed to do with the son or if he just like kills the son. The son is a complete afterthought. Yeah, he doesn't he, He's matter. extra. He's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> the plan is just to have him kill both his, his wife and his, quote, best friend. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, uh, Howard Saint's organization deserves uh, to crumble because the guys that work for him are absolute shit. Let's talk about the assassins that they, they send out to try to get him. So, uh, Frank Castle has let it be known that he's coming after the saints. He's also made an appearance after everyone thinking, thinking he's dead. He's just like, I'm alive. And then he just gets back in his car and drives away. Uh, so the, the, one of the assassins that they send after him is, is it Harry Heck? If I'm not mistaken, Harry Heck, uh, is, is emblazoned on his guitar case. Uh, this actor, uh, I believe is also a musician. So he does his own guitar playing and singing as well. Um, first time I saw him, and I think his first credit on IMDb, Fire Down Below, a Steven Seagal film, where he serves as one of the chief heavies, uh, also features Chris Christopherson, uh, who was in last week's episode of Blade. Um, yeah, Harry Heck rolls up. Apparently, There's like mention of him being brought, brought from Tennessee. Uh, hit, they recruit a hitman from Tennessee to to kill Frank Castle, who is not the Punisher until the very end of this movie. He's just Frank. Yeah. This movie's about Frank. <laughs> the movie should have been called Frank. <laughs> but yeah, he rolls up on him at a diner. And I could be wrong, but I want to say this was the first trailer for this movie. Oh, is it one was... of those trailers where it's just like this scene kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, I, okay. I, I could be wrong but i want to say that was the first trailer for this movie was harry heck singing to frank castle in this diner so in the phases of trailers it used to be like in the 90s we're going to give you a trailer scenes from the movie that does not actually tell you what the movie's about it actually is generally misleading and then we've got today where it's we have to put as much as humanly possible in five different two and a half minute uh <laughs> trailers where you've given the entire film and then we've also got, like, on Amazon, we're like, oh, I want a trailer for this movie where it's just like, no, we're going to show you, like, a two-minute scene. So was this, like, was, I don't remember trailers that much at the time, but I, was this kind of that thing where it was just like, we're going to show you a scene from the film? I don't know if it was super common. I do know that we had pretty typical trailers of the day. Like, I, in, I have it seared into my memory, the Spider-Man trailer. I remember the music. I remember the cutting style of that. Um, but that was just a basic trailer very very energetic with you know some highlight real clips from it um i've always been a fan of the the enigmatic trailer where you don't where know what's like, happening not necessarily you don't know what's happening but they willfully like like they withhold information so that you have a reason to show up yes like for instance the ad campaign for roland emmerich's godzilla mm-hmm. um they never fucking showed his face in the trailers good they only showed his feet and like the rest of his body and stuff, and you know it kind of worked. Yeah, I I don't I try not to watch trailers now. If there's a movie that I think I'm interested in, I, that's why I get excited for movies like uh, I get excited for like horror movies that end up sucking because I'm just like I I'm like I kind of read the description. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna watch one little quick trailer. I don't even finish the trailer usually. I'm like, I just kind of get the idea, and then I stop because they're they generally just spoil the movie. Yeah, they they give you too much these days. I've noticed. Nice. It is. It's odd, um, but uh, the Dark Knight trailer still is kind of special. Uh, they give you just enough. And what's amazing about that trailer is it's the Ooh. pacing of the edit is is 
electric. Um, the timing on the cuts, like the clap and the truck flip and stuff is brilliant. But on top of that, there are whole action scenes in that movie that aren't shown even once in that trailer. There's there's a lot of surprises still in that movie. Trevor, I think that's the perfect trailer to, to make this point. That Dark Knight trailer was incredible. Dude, you could not get more hype for that film. You get teases of the Joker. You never really get a good look at him. And you don't see, you hear his laugh, but you don't see any real, like, performance parts of that film with him in it. Genius. Next movie, <laughs> Dark Knight Rises. They show an entire scene where Bane's coming up out of the ground and that kid's singing. And it's like they, they have like a whole little scene from the film. Yeah. Actually, uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that. It just triggered a memory. Um, speaking of trailers that are just scenes from the movie, um, the first trailer that I remember for The Dark Knight Rises was Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon laying on his side in a hospital bed, barely barely audible like like he's muttering to himself that that scene it, it's like a long scene it's like a whole minute of dialogue from him like asking like where did you go batman and then i think you get like two frames of bane just like a flash that's just like good. yeah that's good. and then the rest of it is just gary oldman laying in that bed and then the title um in the finished film uh there's a couple of shots from that sequence like that that scene is something they obviously shot but it it's not in the movie as it exists in that trailer but yeah it was just an example like this one of like of just a scene from the movie as as trailer yeah it's it's no longer an art uh they need to get back to it every once in a while you get a good one but it's it's few and far between yeah. um i think things just move too fast these days that's like it, the need for it just isn't the same as it was because it's maybe it's my brain is wired differently now but I, I just remember the wait between when you got a trailer to when the movie actually came out being a lot longer mm -hmm. um so you, they would entice you with it these days it's just like trailer oh it, it's out okay <laughs> but, i i'm not i haven't watched a trailer for dune 2 i'm not i'm not watching trailers for it just waiting for it to come out at this point just bring it yeah. i mean denis villeneuve is uh proven at this point it's like yeah i'll show up <laughs> it'll probably be great yeah we're yes harry heck yeah so thoughts yes. feelings so <laughs> so frank castle has already made it known that he's back and he's already meddled with uh uh with howard saint's business so you're pissing him off i guess he thinks that they're not going to find him so when a guy looks like he's the porn parody of johnny cash comes in with a face tattoo and a guitar He's pretty just like, I'll see where this goes. I've got my gun underneath here. Maybe that's that's his point. But I'm like, obviously, this guy's an assassin. Look at him. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, very obvious uh, nod to Johnny Cash. Um, but on top of that, it's also remember we got Desperado and El Mariachi just the decade prior. Uh, like, it, it, You can't help but think of that. But it's a weird scene. Like anytime somebody makes eye contact with you while strumming a guitar and serenading you, it's I'm sorry, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I don't care if I love you, just don't do that. I don't need <laughs> I don't need anybody ever playing an acoustic guitar and singing again. It never needs to happen again. Stop it. But it's, it's the eye contact for me, Kyle. It, it, you can do that to a room, but if you're just like locking eyes with me while you're doing that, you no <laughs> stop I mean, it if he just came in it would have been a little bit more chilling if he didn't stare at him if he just came in and kind of played a song 
and just like kind of just play like he would normally put it back in his guitar look at him and then walk out and be like huh that's really odd but this is like point blank staring at him comes over to his table and tells him i'm gonna play that song at your funeral it's like well obviously this guy's gonna try to kill you yeah i mean jonathan hensley first time director on top of that, working under quite a lot of constraints in the form of a compressed time frame to shoot the thing and also a reduced budget from what he was expecting. So limited resources. Uh, case in point, something that we'll talk about in just one second, but just an awkwardly blocked scene on top of everything, like a totally empty diner. And he walks in and he, like Kyle had said, he immediately draws attention to himself. Different way to structure this could have been he's just playing the song and then we the viewer and frank castle together discover that the song is about him and their relationship like going forward like oh something is amiss with that guitar player guy and then he shows up later or something but no the empty diner is what really makes it weird to me um anyway he sings him the song he says i'm gonna sing that at your funeral and then he walks out and then the most awkward car chase ever happens yeah it's pretty yeah it, it's there's not much to it honestly it, it, it lame is is the word that comes to mind i mean the vehicles themselves i guess if you're into that sort of thing there's there's some appeal there um but just the the choreography of it is really sedate like it's just lacking in any sort of real energy and on top of that i this is the pin that i, I mentioned just a second ago the cheapness rears its ugly head here because we're we're on these streets and they're completely empty. Mm-hmm. And there's a random girl with a soccer ball that runs out into the street, and there's exactly one car in the form of oncoming traffic. There's just no energy to it. It feels like it feels staged. It doesn't. It has no life to it. And then yeah, Frank gets, he flips his car, and Harry Heck comes at him. By the way, with like a fucking drum-fed shotgun. Like, <laughs> goddamn, that's like not exactly subtle there, sir. Like, maybe you should have led with that. Um, and he, like, if you're gonna come out loud like that, just walk into the diner and do it. Um, but yeah, uh, they have the stupid piece of shit. You, you brought a, a knife, knife to a gunfoot. Did you yeah. see the uh, okay? So he, yeah, he's on the ground. He's like, You're you dumb for bringing a knife to a gunfight. And then he shoots the knife. It goes, Did you see, like, the rapid succession of the sh- the the shots here. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? It it's like four. I think there's four. One, two, three, four, four different frames in less than a second. It's like, Doo-doo-doo. it's kind of crazy how they did it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I hate to bring this up so often, but um, it's Liam Neeson hopping over a fence. Um, <laughs> look it up on YouTube. Liam Neeson hopping a fence in Taken Three. I think it's 13 different cuts in the space of a single second or two of film. Wow. It is it it is enough to give you a seizure if you have that problem. Um, yeah, the, the edit here is horribly bungled. It's horribly botched. It's, it's indecipherable. It's like, what the fuck did I just see? There were like four different angles. All, all Kyle's watching Liam Neeson right now. Uh, uh, uh. Is my nose bleeding? Do I, Am I bleeding? Do I need to call an ambulance, Kyle? Is it bad? Is it, is it bad? Uh, I mean, your one eye is looking uh, at my wallet and the other one's looking at my face. I don't know what's going that? on there. It's like, four, it's like four different movies. Like like the way the angle and like the, the camera, it looks like four different movies where Liam Neeson is jumping over a fence and they've spliced it together. 
I wouldn't be surprised if the color temperature changes. It does. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, the fuck? That is wild. Yeah. That is the go-to example of that kind of edit. And we have a lesser example of it here. But yeah, it's a ballistic knife that gets shot into Harry Heck's throat. Should have been cool. Mm-hmm. Could have been cool. Because that's a, that's a fun line playing into that. But the execution of it is horrendous. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's it for Harry Heck. He was in it for one scene. Um, and where do we go from there? Uh the money laundering situation has gone wrong. The Toro brothers are pressuring Howard Saint. None of this will have any bearing on the plot, by the way. Uh, but we're devoting quite a lot of screen time to it. Yeah, John Travolta gets one little, like, it hasn't been recovered yet! Like, he gets one little spurt where he gets to yell, and it's it's great. It's Yeah, it's nice. That's If he had been doing that throughout the whole movie, if he had tried to save the movie, I would have loved that. Just somebody over the top just one person over the top but no um, well i'll tell you who does step up to save the fucking movie kyle mm, duh, duh. i like mark Wahlberg banging the gun and the other guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about it do it do it the man the man he was the man who saved the punisher 2004 for about five minutes yeah kevin nash too sweet Thank you, Kevin Nash. My Thank goodness. you, Kevin Nash. This is the only good sequence in the whole film, honestly. Like, this is it. It. Yeah, it is. This is it. <laughs> Upon most recent watching, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, besides the guy getting the knife in the uh, gooch and chin, like, this is the best. Yeah, we talked about that the other week, though. <laughs> I know, we busted our nut too soon on that, which sucks. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I love this. I love the aesthetic that they went uh, went for with Kevin Nash. I like how this plays out. It, I mean, there's not a ton of energy to it. It, it is kind of slow. And, but because it plays out kind of slow, it's kind of funny the way. It, it, this is a comedic uh, beatdown. They basically have gotten this. How tall is Kevin Nash? 6'7", six, 6'8"? Six, I think he's like 6'9 or 10". I know the big. I know the uh, big show's seven feet tall, but he's. A, I know that Kevin Nash is a little bit shorter. I think he's. Six, I want six seven or six eight. I know he's lost some inches to back problems and knee issues and stuff, but I think he he may have been like six nine at one point. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, there's there's a. Uh, I don't really like the show uh, anymore. It had a couple of good seasons, but the league they go to their high school reunion and they're like. Did uh, Jones, is he Asian? Can you turn Asian? Like, <laughs> it's kind of a funny beat. Was he always Asian? Can you turn Asian? Uh, really funny. But, uh, yeah, I like the, uh, the way this plays out. Um, they have this dinner in the middle of the day. or They have, like, this lunch or dinner, and they all say what they're thankful for, and we kind of get to peer into each of the characters a little bit. Rebecca Romaine is... Um, I guess she's had, uh, she picks bad boyfriends. She's been sober for about, I think, seven years or seven months. I don't know. She's, she's working the program. Um, yeah. and she's struggling, but she's got, you know, her support group of these two fucking losers that live in the same <laughs> building with her. Uh, Ben Foster, uh, he comes from a troubled home and he's happy, you know, that, you know, his mom's getting out of prison. And then, uh, Bumpo, uh, is happy for food and, uh, Diet Pepsi. And Frank, by the way, we haven't been mentioning this. Frank Castle 
his is chugging liquor. I don't know if you've noticed this, Trevor. There's been a trend, an uptick of people chugging fifths of of booze, fifths of liquor. Uh, really? Yeah. I've That's seen not good. So <laughs> it's becoming more and more popular. And I'm going to tell you right now, it never goes well. They either black out, have to go to the hospital for alcohol poisoning, or their tolerance is so high that they end up just being super drunk and then blacking out essentially i mean it's what butt chugging was a thing for a while there i don't know if we're still doing that and, i mean maybe I, we've probably crossed over into something else at this point um but yeah he goes back to his uh he goes back to his little apartment to uh some down some more booze probably and somebody comes a knocking the russian the russian uh yeah kevin nash um love kevin nash uh look another some more homework Look up Kevin Nash eating ravioli on YouTube. Okay. Oh, I think Kelly Kelly should have her own two-hour show. It, it is I, one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> I think he's one of the. I think he's one of the muscle guys at the beginning of Grandma's Boy, if I'm not mistaken. He's he's been in a couple. He was in the Longest Yard as one of the. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's he's pretty funny if he pops up in an Adam Sandler or a Happy Madison production. He's he has worked in the film industry a little more than your average wrestler. Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, he's <laughs> fucking super shredder. He's the super shredder at the end of TMNT two. If you didn't know that, um, he's also he's he's done lots of. He's even in John Wick actually. Oh nice. Um, he, I think he may be dubbed in that movie with a Russian accent. But Kevin Nash has been in movies. He's in the Dead or Alive video game movie adaptation that I'm not sure if your brother uh, would be familiar with. Uh, but yeah, uh, Kevin Nash got his start in WCW, ended up in WWF, and back to WCW. He he goes where the money goes, and that's kind of why I love Kevin Nash. Is he 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 is like the consummate big man with an ego. Like there's a funny anecdote from uh, his wife, I think, where I guess she was like standing on a chair doing like some home improvement stuff, and she found herself at his eye level, and she just like looked around the house and was like. God, no wonder you're such a prick. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? She was like, everything looks like a joke to you. Because <laughs> he's this gigantic, handsome man that, you know, got paid to be a pro wrestler for years. He's like, yeah, I've, I spent most of my life getting cheered on by tens of thousands of people just yeah. by virtue of me being big and handsome. <laughs> Sandler knows how to utilize wrestlers. I remember the big show laughing in the water boy, him crying, laughing at him, asking if he wants Captain to... Insano. <laughs> I guarantee that guy's still a virgin. Oh my god, him just his yeah. Big Show Big Show is funny. On on uh, The Rock's appearance on Saturday Night Live, the Big Show kind of stole the show, actually. Like, it was The Rock's episode, but The Big Show was there as well, and he kind of stole it. Yeah. Uh, you need to watch uh, uh, Peacemaker, by the way, if you haven't yet. I know, I know, I know. You, you told me that a while ago. But yeah, Kevin Nash is the Russian. The Russian is pulled directly from the comics. The, the look, the, the blonde hair, the shirt, like, with the horizontal stripes, completely comics accurate. Uh, I was going to say, so we spent, uh, we, we mentioned briefly that he, uh, uh, Frank... Uh, castle like soups up his his car to be a murder car and he also does it to his apartment in case like anybody tries to break in or fight him he does all that and 
None of it's helpful except for his little elevator that he has. But he like hides a gun in one place. He's got grenades underneath the uh, underneath the uh, sink. It plays out pretty funny. Yeah, th- that's why this scene stands out is because one Kevin Nash, yeah. um, <laughs> but, but two, the movie like finds its it finds its tone, it finds its energy, it finds its footing for just this yeah. one scene because the rest of the movie is just so lackadaisical and sedate. It's it's sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Whereas this scene, we're actually doing something with the edit where we have comedic timing, where we're going back and forth between the ultra violence, like almost like cartoonish violence, uh, of the Punisher fighting the Russian, and then we're cutting back to his neighbors, dancing and cooking and being and continually being unaware of the chaos happening just down the hall. Yeah, and the timing of the edit works. Like yeah. it's actually legitimately kind of funny. The whole thing has uh, opera backing it that has played earlier in the movie, but it has a it has a, a fun, bouncy energy to it. And again, just the juxtaposition of like all the violence playing along with that as background works. And on top of that, the choreography is fairly inventive. Uh, by the way, uh, fun fact, Kevin Nash was stabbed on the set. Oh. And because he is Kevin fucking Nash, he no-sold it. He no-sold a stab wound <laughs> because good. he's Kevin Nash. So That is some pro-wrestling shit. Because that scene when Thomas Jane stabs him uh-huh. as the opening blow, that happened. Oh, no shit. I did yeah, not the knife, know that. It was, apparently, it was kind of similar to the crow, albeit without a fatality. Um, the wrong prop was utilized. Ah. And so Tom Jane hit him with it, thinking it was retractable, and it actually penetrated his chest. And he didn't... His face didn't change. And he just continued to act through that. And you know what? Icing on the cake, Kyle? Because he's Kevin fucking Nash. Only demand he made is compensation for the accident. Case of beer. I knew it was going to be food. I knew it was going to be food. I was going to say he wanted like, he wanted a fucking box of Twinkies. Like, not like the box you get in the store, but like the shipment box of twinkies uh that's awesome case of beer uh yeah that's a cool that's a cool like injury gag uh the movie django is hard it was a hard watch it's not a rewatchable qt film but especially when you know about the glass breaking with leo like him actually bleeding and then rubbing his warm actual leonardo dicaprio blood on the actress i'm like Ugh, what a piece of shit. I, I hate that. I, I don't know why that bothers me so much. But yeah, that's cool. Like him just like not missing the beat. I love the way this plays out. Yes, he sta- like Castle gets him in the shoulder and then it's kind of like saving Private Ryan. He pulls the knife out of himself, holds him up, and then stabs him in the same spot. It's pretty cool. I, I don't know why it is about, but the, the noise that Thomas Jane makes when he gets stabbed lives rent-free in my mind. Like, that is that is a good man scream. Like, just that, ah! Oh! <laughs> like, it's, it's a good scream. <laughs> See, I'll get waking up out of my sleep. Uh, Adam Goldberg's noises when he gets it, and, uh, oof, that's bad. Oof. That is one of the most traumatic scenes in cinema. <laughs> that and the noise, the noise. You'll know the noise, and we were soldiers. The noise when that happens. Whoever did the foley on that was ooh. Yeah, my 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 dad walked yeah. out of that one. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't in Vietnam, and I wanted to walk out of that one. Yeah, my dad was in Vietnam, yeah. and the uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the legs that, was, that's the he noise. was like that's the noise i'm talking about he, it he, makes he said noise. no yeah 
He's nope. like, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, say what you will about Mel Gibson. He knows how to... Uh, <laughs> he'll recommend how to get some really gratuitous violence on screen. <laughs> um, he knows what he's doing. Uh, but yeah, I. what's your favorite beat? Is it the is it the dumbbell on the gun or is it the grenade? <sighs> See, there's too many. There's too this, many. This scene is really good. This could like just be a short film and it's uh, on its, its own. Well, speaking of short films, did you know that Thomas Jane did a short film as the Punisher? No. In twenty, I'm not gonna go on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not something like. I'm not knowing you. I'm knowing like. Stop with that shit. Stop with the. Just make the movie. Well, it was a short film because that was the only way it could be made because it was not licensed. Uh, Um, There's a producer uh, by the name of Adi Shankar uh, who's pretty deeply embedded in Hollywood. He's doing a lot of shows right now. Um, but he is also like a massive nerd and fanboy. So there was a time in like the in the 2010s where he was making a lot of these like I think they called them like bootleg universe movies. So it was like short films based on licensed properties like Venom and and the Punisher and the Power Rangers especially. Um, and he made one and he actually got Thomas Jane to be the Punisher and it's I think it's just called like Dirty Laundry or something. It's just a couple minute film where Thomas Jane comes back as the Punisher in 2012. Um, but yeah, this this one scene could easily be just a short film, and it would be excellent. Mm-hmm. Because Kyle just listed off several possible high points to it, and I can still think of more. Yeah. Because he hits him with a fucking toilet. Yeah. <laughs> through a wall. They go through multiple walls in this fight. And then the, the, the stunt gag that Thomas Jane does when he gets thrown out into the hallway. Yeah. Holy shit, that looked painful. Yeah, this this played a lot on FX because they could just get away with anything. Uh, but they had a I think lot. We said that last yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> but they they showed a lot of make, uh, a lot of making of. Uh, Thomas Jane did a lot of his stunts for this, especially this uh, this fight sequence, which is I thought I figured you were going to bring up at some point. I thought you would mention uh, that he he did a lot of his own stunts. Uh, but I think it's just the flow of the gun. Like he knocks the gun out, picks it up, puts it up, and then just with. The dumbbell's already coming in. Like, he saw it coming, and he smashes the barrel. <laughs> Just perfect. Well, what, what's great about it is what you had said earlier about we get a whole montage dedicated to him setting up these traps. Yeah. And they do nothing. nothing. The grenade, <laughs> I, I, I think the grenade's my favorite. He gets the grenade, throws it out, slut, shuts the door. And he just baseball bats it right back into the bathroom. <laughs> I like Kevin Nash's satisfied smile. Yeah. <laughs> like the grenade goes off. And, and again, the, the timing of the edit is good here because the grenade goes off. It's an apartment complex. So the building shakes yeah. like, and the that? record skips and everybody's like, what the hell was that? And then they start the music <laughs> back, back up <laughs> and then they go back to fighting. It's great. It's <laughs> but yeah, Kevin Nash, like there's smoke everywhere and he just has a smile like, oh, it's cool. Like, I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> yeah. He's like. It was like it's like two things. It's like one, I'm glad that worked out, but two is like, was it gonna be that easy? Like, yeah. like I mean, that's fine. I wasn't expecting a grenade to show up, but fuck, that'll work. I'll add that to my resume. Yeah, but yeah, Frank Castle he hides in the bathtub to you know protect himself from the grenade he didn't know was coming. Uh, Russian goes in there, he picks him up, he puts him through a wall, he hits him with a toilet. Yeah, through another wall, <laughs> and but the. The smashing the revolver gag, I love Thomas Jane's reaction to that. Yeah. Because they hold on it yeah. for a little bit longer where he just like looks up like, 
Ugh. Come on, man! Yeah. <laughs> like, come, like, are are you done? Oh yeah, and he gets his head put in a refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Shutting the door on his head. Is that how we're introduced to Vinny Jones's character in Snatch? He's just like smashing a dude's head in a car <laughs> in the car door. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's viciously, right. viciously. It's. A, I think it was a pretty good character introduction. Well, what's what's fun about this though is is the word fun. He's not like killing him with the fridge he's yeah. just like bopping oh him yeah no he's just having fun with this yeah yeah he's kevin nash he's, he's twice his size he doesn't give a shit he's a cat playing with the uh, almost dead rabbit that he caught and he's just like eh, eh. yeah and he, he's like choking him out in the sink and we get that shot a very well coordinated shot where you can see across the yeah. way through the window that dave ben foster is there but his back is turned and he doesn't see it. <laughs> it's a really well put together scene. Yeah. Anyway, how it is. Want to get yeah. to the end of it? Yeah. So I actually saw a video. Some girl did this. Uh, there was she was having an issue at a house party. I think somebody act, got out of line and she did this to them. She threw boiling water on this person's face. But, oh no! Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a bit much. I was it, it yeah. Anyways, but yes, for some reason there's a pot of boiling water. Uh, and he uses it as a weapon, which is a good weapon. That will stop anybody except for Max Cady in, Cap- in Cape Fear. That's the only person it doesn't work on. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he gets just his face completely burnt. I, I love this is also kind of a funny beat where he gets the, the gets the boiling water on his face. And Frank just like kind of catches his breath and says, like, oh, oh, I have the upper hand. <laughs> he, he, tack- <laughs> he tackles him into the staircase, which is funny. Yeah, no, the timing of it's really good. And it's also comics accurate. Uh, the Russian uh, is invulnerable to most, like he shrugs off almost everything. Yeah. But at one point he does, he doesn't like hot things. Like the heat bothers him. So he does actually get like boiling fluid put on his face. In the comics... The way the Russian is dispatched is uh, Frank uses Mr. Bumpo's fat to smother him to death. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's Steve Dillon and, and uh, Garth Ennis, the writer, twisted individuals. But gotcha. uh, in this, in this, the film adaptation, he tackles him into the stairway. They tumble down the stairs together. And presumably he, he gets the diehard treatment where he probably falls on his head and breaks his neck. Oh. So the Russian gets his head twisted around. Uh, um, and just icing on the cake we get, we get like an actual comedic line delivery here where I love Thomas Jane standing over the Russian like standing over dead Kevin Nash and we get a close up dedicated to Kevin Nash's head twisted the wrong way on the ground <laughs> and Thomas Jane looks up at everybody and he says I'm fine and he looks down and he says he's not and then he fall timber falls backwards and Rebecca Romaine gives us like she just oh. fuck. Like she, she doesn't even say anything. Just she does this gesture, like oh fuck. All right, fart, sorry, I found it. I heard your brother squeal. I broke his fucking neck. There we go. Precisely. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So this this is a good way because I wanted to talk about Will Patton getting dispatched, but we have to talk about this scene really quick. So like we mentioned. Uh, the bad guys know where he's at. They're expecting the... They're going to check in to make sure the Russians killed him. Uh, the bad guys come up and they're like, oh no, Russian's dead. He fucking killed the Russian. But Will Patton's with his crew. Uh, they go and hide Thomas Jane in the elevator thing. And uh, uh, Bumpo and Ben Foster get got. And 
they just want to know where he's at. They want to know where Frank's at. And uh, Will Patton, I, I do think he does a pretty good job of being pretty sinister in this scene. Like, it's he's such a friendly guy, like such a friendly face in Armageddon. I really like him in Armageddon. Um, but he is sadistic here. Like it is, it's it's unsettling. But basically, I have go ahead. I have twice in my notes here, and just like another scene later. One, Ben Foster is a good actor. Mm-hmm. Two, Will Patton is a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> They're both very good. But yeah, they, he basically rips all of Ben Foster's piercings out, trying to find out where Frank is at, uh, and he's just like, "Why the fuck would you not tell him?" Like. And he's just like, we're, we're family. <laughs> but you, you don't even know this fucking guy. He's said two sentences. Not even to you. He's just said two sentences when you've been around. Yeah, it, it's interesting. But I will point out, funny little connection. Uh, both Ben Foster and Rebecca Romaine uh, would be in the X-Men franchise. That uh, is just correct. a couple of years later. Yeah, uh, she's Mystique. He's Angel in x-men the last stand the movie that nobody likes <laughs> not, not, nothing against rebecca romaine but like it's kind of surprising that she would be the better character like she would have the better character arc than uh he's b- totally forgettable in that movie yeah he i don't know maybe he was in it just for the trailer shot of his abs um because that's all i remember like like it's kind of an interesting story, but it goes nowhere. But yeah, uh, Ben Foster has gone on to have a tremendous career. I've always really liked him. Love him. Um, yeah, he's he's been doing really well for himself. And Rebecca Romaine, as far as I understand, as an actress, has done quite well as well. Um, but yeah, here she was just on loan from the X Men movies, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was an important scene where where Dave gets tortured because yeah, Ben Foster elevates the material. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it's a pretty straightforward scene, but his reactions to the torture are Ben Fosterian. They're Fosterian because uh, yeah, he is good at playing pained and manic. Folks at home, if you haven't seen it, watch Alpha Dog. Um, oh my god! If you want to see him bust out some roundhouse kicks out of nowhere, I love it, <laughs> Alpha uh, Dog. Love it. Uh, yeah, so um, now we have to like now we're 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 cranking it. We're gonna we're tightening the screws. We have to put this this fucking. Uh, blackmailing unraveling of the family and the business all kind of wrap it up here um <laughs> before we could go into his uh used car dealership or his car dealership to murder his entire crew uh yeah but will Patton. so what's happened is, is he set a set it up so that will Patton. it looks like will Patton and his wife who is very important to him he very much loves his wife he's very much got the hots for his wife i get it um <laughs> He's setting it up so that it looks like they're having an affair. But I do like how he's starting to piece it together. I do want to point this out. Where he goes to his son's room. He's just like, where's your mom? And his son is obviously just finished having sex or masturbating. It's not really clear just yet. But he's got nothing on but a towel making a martini, it looks like. And then some lady in lingerie just kind of comes out from behind him. And he's just like, okay. Well, I guess your mom's at the movies, whatever. And <laughs> that was just kind of a weird, like, that was odd. It's a weird scene. Yeah. Your son, like, your number one, your son lives with you. Two, he's in a towel, and, and he's got, like, a Girls Gone Wild lady with him that just walks in. And she, by the way, she's wearing, like, a string bikini. Yeah. In the house. In the house. 
what? This is a, this is a, I'm like, if you're, if you're this, like, if your guard is this down in front of your family, this woman's naked. Like, just make it, make yeah. it make, just, she just has to be naked. Like, you don't give a yeah. fuck. Yeah. yeah it, it's very strange attire for, for mansion setting. Yeah. Oh, like, is your dad here? Oh, gosh, let me go into the other room. No, the, yeah, it, it, it's one or the other. Either she's, she's coy, she goes to the other room, or she's butt naked because she does not care. And she needs just to be have doing, her in bed under the sheets or something. She needs to be yeah. doing coke, like, or something. Like, you gotta, you gotta ramp this up a little bit. But anyway, uh, <laughs> let, let's, let's, let's unravel Will Patton here. Um, so, he's pieced it together. He... He thinks that Will Patton is having sex with his wife, so he goes to Will Patton's house to murder him. Avoidable deaths, Trevor. Can you think of any other situations besides Austin Powers where the guy gets run over by the steamroller? Is there a more avoidable death than this movie? Uh, not really. He has every opportunity to do something. I, I mean, one, if my buddy's threatening me with a knife and I think he's playing a joke, I mean, obviously, now we've crossed the line. I don't think this is funny. When my buddy slices me on my arm, oh, we're done. This is, this is a different situation now. Will Patton literally gets his arm sliced and sees that he's about to get stabbed. And he just lets himself get stabbed. He says, why are you killing me? Why are you stabbing me? It's kind of bonkers the way this plays out. Yeah, the Jonathan Hensley, first time director. <laughs> he uh he has stated that he was thinking of Shakespeare when he was putting together this plot. I guess I kind of see it. He cites Othello as being an inspiration, um kind of like seeding jealousy and and wrongful vengeance on people and stuff. And so like the way this is shot, it has like a it's supposed to be like a tragic semi-romantic kind of thing i guess where it's like he the reason he's not resisting is because he can't conceive of what's happening and then when it's finally happening that's that's his reaction to it is like pained incredulity and to his credit will Patton does he does the scene like he, he does deliver on that front it's just a really clumsily constructed sequence. It's kind of like Polly Shore getting punched in the face and son-in-law. Like, Why did you do that? He's like crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So he kills his best friend for having sex with his wife. And then he confronts his wife. Why would you kill her? That's your wife. You know, you maybe cut up her credit cards or something because she, obviously she doesn't work. Like you, you got to, <laughs> you got to punish her somehow. But you don't need to kill your wife. Yeah, put her on probation. Yeah. <laughs> double secret probation. Like she, yeah, yeah. Like you don't you don't gotta kill her outright. Like I, there are steps. <laughs> I, I even think I don't know if that's what Frank was going for. It's just like oh, I wasn't expecting him to go that far. I, like, I, I mean, different movie. Different movie, half that reaction. I was like, you know, I wasn't planning on that. but uh. I just wanted to destroy his life. I didn't want to, you know, have him murder his wife. Jeez. It's a bit heavy. Uh, but, I mean, in the in the fiction of, of the narrative, it, it, I guess she is supposed to be deserving of this because she was the one who asked for the whole family to get killed. Um, but, yeah, Howard Saint, he, he smashes down that accelerator for, for the conflict here, and he... Smashes all her precious stuff and then carts her out to the car. She does mention aloud that Quentin uh, Quentin Glass, Will Patton's character, was gay. Yeah. So the chances of her sleeping with him are slim to none. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he drives her out to a bridge 
and tosses her onto some train tracks whereupon she is run over by a train that's how she dies yeah he throws her yeah and then is i think his son asks where's mom like mom's out or something i can't remember I forget how he he phrases it, but it's supposed to be cute. Yeah, where he says, "Your mom's gone. She took the train. She took the train. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready to wrap this thing up with the uh, the final shootout? Or there's very little out? to be said about it, honestly. Uh, it's the big talk- finale, but it's <sighs> yeah, like two two minutes. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, there's working the way through the building. We get the gooch stab and the ah, ah the underneath the underneath the chin. But uh, John Travolta's character dies the same way that the bad guy in The Mask of Zorro dies. But that actor does a fantastic job of, like, the panic setting in that he's about to die. Like, ah! ah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is just such a... Like, just a nothing. Yeah, it's, it's very condensed. Like, for the big action finale of the movie, the one time we get to see him wearing the skull and doing the punisher thing and and in fact it's preceded by narration of him like giving like a manifesto basically like explaining that like all the people that are gonna die tonight it comes as a result of seeking something beyond vengeance this is punishment it's it's a little heavy-handed but yeah he's wearing the skull thing on his his bulletproof vest Uh, he goes in there with like a bow and arrow Uh, I, i love the edit of when he shoots the guy with the bow in the club kyle because it's it's a very small thing. It, it, I, don't, I don't know how many people would think of it in these terms, but something about the way the camera pans, the way like the way it whips and pans, the the construction of the shots makes it look like he put the arrowhead to the guy's throat and then released it. <laughs> like it looks like there's no distance between them, is what I'm saying, and it, it looks really stupid to me. <laughs> But um, he puts a, a bomb in a champagne bottle, like he sends it up via a dumbwaiter. And I do I do like that beat where the guy says, oh, when he sees the bomb. And then it blows up the room. The squibs in, in the shootout are barely noticeable. Like, I don't know if there was like a rigging issue or something, or maybe it had to do with censorship, because this movie did receive some cuts for violence. Um, but yeah, he shoots a couple of guys. Uh, he gets shot in kind, all in the vest, by the way. Um, we do get that one guy who did deserve a special death because he is the guy who um, stabbed his dad. Kinda, yeah, he he killed Roy Scheider, but he also like impeded his progress towards like trying to save his wife and son. Yeah, like he was the guy that slowed him down. Yeah, so he's he's the guy. We already talked about this uh, last week. Yeah. But he's the ooh guy. <laughs> um, he gets the knife up through the chin and into the brain. Um, but yeah, uh, Howard Saint and. Uh, the Punisher, now the Punisher, actually. They uh, they have their final standoff, and it, again, has that Old West vibe to it. Even Thomas Jane's posture suggests, like, Western. He does a thing with his stance that makes me think of, like, that kind of filmmaking. Um, and yeah, it's just like a quick draw scenario, and it's like... <laughs> Doey John Travolta versus Thomas Jane. Come on, it would be I, yeah. <laughs> it would be one thing if it was like uh, Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo, where it's like John Travolta, like he's into like shooting or something. Like he's into golf, but it'd be one thing if he was just like he's really good at like this kind of stuff. Like he's really good at uh, like. Go ahead. That I love what you're talking about here because I I think that would have made a lot of sense. It actually makes me think of um, you mentioned this earlier. 
Uh, and maybe it had some influence on this movie. Uh, Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Commodus. Commodus. And Maximus. Yeah. We get to see Commodus spar yeah. with people. We see that he's good at that, but fighting to the death is a very different thing. He's never been in battle. Um, he's never literally, it's never been life or death. It's, you know, sparring with yes men. So Yeah, and Joaquin Phoenix, his his acting in that sequence is is really good where you get to see that look on his face like oh yeah. <laughs> like, like, this, the, <laughs> this guy's in it for real such a, yeah, such a good one it's like i poked the wrong bear <laughs> um, but yeah having john travolta maybe be a shootist or something yeah. like just that's like, real simple two two scenes real quick would have been would have been easy but yeah yeah and just show instead of golf just show him shooting clay pigeons or, or doing like quick draw competitions or something you know he's a rich guy that's what they do yeah rich white guys yeah. <laughs> in fucking florida <laughs> oh yes rich white guys in florida yes they shoot guns <laughs> uh, but yeah uh howard saint gets shot in the abdomen he does a little pew, he does like a pirouette and falls <laughs> down he did get to move those hips kyle Fucking he right. did one spin he did one spin on his heels uh, and he falls down and uh frank castle throws some photos at him like telling him made you kill your best friend yeah made you kill your wife uh, and and uh oh i actually do like the beat another good line uh, you killed my son. Kaboom! Yeah. Both of them. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah. He 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 rigs a, a bomb with a, a it's like a a line that if it gets tugged on the bomb will go off. He rigs it on John Travolta's last son's hand, so he leaves the room and the guy presumably drops his arm, uh, which triggers the bomb. And yeah, we get that beat. And both of them. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kyle's right. Actually, the the choreography, uh, like the setup for his demise here is kind of similar to the mask of Zorro, mm-hmm. albeit not as good. No. Um, Cause the mask of Zorro is an awesome fucking movie. And that is a good ass death for that guy. Oh, and it gets actually that's, we need to talk about that movie at some point. He goes off we the do. cliff and then captain love is right underneath. And he, ah! Ah! <laughs> it's, so, it's pretty great. It's such a good movie. Um, Speaking of good villains, captain love is a captain. Love. He is a son of a bitch. He is a son of a bitch in that movie. Great great stuff it's a good ass movie it's a fucking good ass movie god i'm gonna watch that and i'm watching sicario i'm I, I've, i'm fucking had it i haven't rewatched sicario in a few months so i've got to rewatch it i've been trying to get the girlfriend to watch that one oh, that's, a t- uh, I, that's a tough one i know i know but i really like it it's i think really it's a fantastic good. film really good yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Howard Saint gets uh, attacked. He gets strung up on a car that has its parking brake uh, taken off, and it rolls through his used car lot of exploding cars. And we get like all these fireballs and explosions. And then he eventually gets immolated and uh, burnt to death. And it looked like the trunk of a car fell on him <laughs> as well, which is kind of fun. Um, but they had to do it. They just had to fuck it up, and and they show the overhead shot of the bad CGI uh, burning skull um, that Frank Castle flexed his uh, aesthetic sensibilities, uh, rigging those bombs to make the burning skull that you can only see from a bird's eye view. It's so fucking stupid, but anyway, that's the end of him. We go back to the apartment. Frank's like, I gotta go. It's like, why? Because the movie's over. The movie's over. (laughs) And uh, he leaves a bunch of money for his neighbors who regard him as family. He's never going to see them again. <laughs> He's so done with them. Yeah. Uh, he threatens to commit suicide, but does not for reasons not explained. He has a vision of his wife 
uh, like making faces at him, and and then he's like, eh, I don't think I'm gonna kill myself today. Uh, instead, I'm gonna kill a whole bunch of other people. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so he leaves and uh, basically implies he's gonna become the Punisher now. And then the last shot of the movie, so that we bookend the movie by doing it wrong. <laughs> so one, Tampa, Florida. Two, we end the movie with a helicopter shot of Thomas Jane wearing his leather duster and his Punisher skull shirt standing on an empty bridge at like sunset and the helicopter pushes in on him the camera does and we have narration of him saying i'm the punisher blah 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 like a lot of these movies tend to end like but you can see the frame like jostling because it was probably windy that day (laughs) so like that that's the only explanation is the 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 shot is bungled like it looks weird and and it's moving and it it just should not be but i'm guessing it was a windy day and that was the best they could do we could have renamed this month mostly dusters i think we've discussed this i think four out of five films have had our main character in a duster i'm glad you reminded me because i do need to i do need to put together that collage of just all the protagonists from every movie we talked about this month wearing their fucking dusters because i think it's accurate yeah i think I can't speak for Spawn. That might be the one exception. I know Brandon Lee's wearing a black jacket. I'm pretty sure it's a duster. I will allow it. Like it's a it's a big black jacket. It'll do. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure every dark hero we talked about this month does in fact don a duster at some point. Yikes. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, Jonathan Hensley's The Punisher from 2004. Not anywhere near as good as I remember it being, which is a shame because I've seen it a lot. But for some reason, aside from that Russian scene, this one just yeah. was a chore to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, that concludes a Dark Hero Month. Uh, any closing thoughts, Kyle? Or are we about to end, uh, wrap up here? No. Go watch Punisher 2, Alpha Dog, and Sicario if you haven't seen them. They're all great. Okay, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. Uh, if you got to watch a Punisher movie, go watch Punisher Warzone. Correct. Uh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, again, this was The Punisher from 2004, directed by, written and directed by Jonathan Hensley. Uh, and if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can do so by navigating to our website of catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter slash X at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, and feel free to hit me up at either of those, by the way. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. Uh, so fucking Google it. Google it. And, uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Oh my god, that sucks.